preachers in this room. I'm just going to tell you, I, I like seeing it, man. They get the preaching finger out, you know something's really going on there. May I, may I just say this to you? It's one thing to know, and it's another thing to do. Old Chinese proverb says, too much talky-talky, not enough walky-walky. I think they're right. So, May I ask you a question? If God's spoken to us about that, fill in the blank, whatever that is, what are we going to do about it? You know, William Carey, the pioneer, the father of modern missions, that's where the whole thing started. He sat in a meeting and heard somebody talk about all these villages that had never heard about Jesus, and they adjourned the meeting, and all those preachers got up to leave, and Carey couldn't stand it. And he shouted out in the meeting, he said, aren't we going to do something? And the answer was silence. So Carey did something. When I come to the end of a meeting like this, I, I'm not thinking about all we've talked about or all that's gone into the meeting. I'm thinking about what will come out of this meeting. Will anything be set in motion? Even, even in special meetings when I go in to churches to preach, one of the most thrilling things for me is hearing what happens after the meeting. Weeks later, somebody saved, family added to the church, uh, people stirred up for the gospel. Why? Because we're not just having a meeting to have a meeting. Preachers know we don't need just another meeting to go to. We need something that will come out of this that will go on till we meet Jesus face to face. With that in mind, let's find Acts 16 and Philippians 1 again. Are you connecting these two? Let's start in Philippians 1. Everything I'm going to say to you in this closing session really is just going to be application. Is that all right? We're going to take everything that we've talked about and studied from the Word of God and bring it down. I'm going to make it very practical and very personal. What are we going to do now? Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 12. There's a key word I want to bring to your attention. But I would you should understand, brethren. Let's all just pause right here and say, Holy Spirit, give us that understanding. Give us spiritual understanding, not knowledge, not, not the knowledge that puffs up. Dear God, give us right now spiritual understanding to the brethren. That the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. My pastor used to say there are two kinds of preparation. There's conscious preparation and there's unconscious preparation. The conscious preparation is what you do and the unconscious preparation is what God does. How many of you know both of those are important? God's not going to do what he's told you to do and you can't do what only God can do. So the Lord is working, and then we're working with him. Paul said, I'm in the work of the gospel, and the Lord has worked some things in my life so that that gospel message would go, here's the key word. Would you mark it in verse 12? Further. The furtherance of the gospel. Now come across the page to verse number 25, and notice the repetition. He said, and having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your what? There's that word again. Your furtherance and joy of faith. He said, I want you to know that God's working in my life so that the gospel will go further. And I believe he's going to leave me here for a little while to help you grow in your faith so that you will go a little further. Do you know the danger in, in the Christian life? No, no. Do you know the danger in the ministry? We get stuck. 
We get stuck on people sometimes. Sometimes we get stuck on problems. Sometimes we even get stuck on blessings. We enjoy it so much, it was just so wonderful, and the rest of our life we're going to talk about the good old days. We're going to miss all God has for us. You see, the Lord's way is always to go, what's the Bible word, further. May I ask you a personal question? What's the next step for you? I can't tell you that. The Holy Spirit's going to have to tell you that. What's the next step for your church? What's the next step for the ministry God has given you and the people the Lord has given you to work with? Here's what I do know, and I can speak with certainty and confidence on the authority of the Word of God. I am convinced there is another step for every one of us to take in the work of the gospel, and it is time that God's people got up and got on with it. It's time to go further with the Lord. See, early on in our Christian experience in ministry, we took a step, took a step, took a step, took a step, and then somewhere, if you're not careful, you do this. You draw a line in the sand and say, all right, Lord, that's about far enough now. Sometimes you meet preachers, and they, you think they've got 40 years of experience, but they don't have 40 years of experience. They have 20 years of experience because 20 years ago they stopped taking the next step. You meet Christians, and they say, I got saved 50 years ago, brother. Great. And then you start talking about their Christian experience, and you find out they only matured for about 25 years of that, and 25 years in, they stopped growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and decided they were just going to coast the rest of the way. I'm convinced that every one of us, including the man talking to you right now, there's another step of faith. There's another step of obedience. You want the church to go further. You want the gospel to go further. You want the name of Jesus to go further. You want the glory of God to go further. Then you must go further with the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let's go back now to Acts chapter number 16 and just make a little list of some practical ways to further the gospel. How, how are we going to go further? The Lord will have to give you the practical application of this to your context and to your particular situation. But here's some Bible principles we all can take away. Let's start right here in verse number 6. And when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Here's the first principle. If you're going to go further, I, I spoke in the first hour about the partnership of the gospel. And the second hour about the power of the gospel. And now in the closing hour, here's the pattern of the gospel. Would you like to know what the pattern is to get the gospel further? Number one, obey the Holy Ghost. Obey the Holy Spirit. I'm a Baptist through and through. And as a Baptist through and through, I want to say, I love the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we have let people who've gone beyond Scripture rob us of Scripture. Friend, I'm going to tell you, if we're really going to let God use us, we've got to get acquainted with the one who lives inside of us. Imagine somebody moving into your house and living there for 40 years and you never talk to them. Sounded like some marriages, but that's a different meeting, you know. People get saved, live for 40 years with the Holy Ghost living inside of them and never speak to him and never hear him speak to them. Something's wrong. We must be spirit-filled. We must be spirit-led. We must be spirit-obedient people. We must be what old Vance Havner used to call in tune with heaven. Are you in tune with heaven today? Are you on the Lord's frequency? If the Holy Spirit whispered to you 
and gave you a divine prompting to do something, how often would he have to speak before you heard him? Does it take the rushing mighty wind or can the still small voice come? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I want this. I want to be led of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just preach sermons. God deliver me. God deliver me from just traveling and preaching sermons. Lord, let me follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Be right where you want me, right when I'm supposed to be there. Say right what I'm supposed to say and be used of God. If we're going to go further, you're not the one leading. We think we're the leaders, but we're all really followers. We must follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. The Moody, early on as a young evangelist, had preached in a children's meeting one day and had a great meeting, just a glorious kind of meeting, people saved and good things. And, and everybody's patting him on the back, telling him what a great job he did and how wonderful it was. And he's feeling pretty good about the whole thing. He went out the side door of the meeting hall and they had a carriage waiting on him that he was going to get on and go across to town to another meeting. And, you know, he's riding high and he gets out the door and gets ready to step up in the carriage. And he said a hand came on his arm and he looked down and turned and saw there was a little old man standing there right in his face. He said, I've never seen the man before, and I've never seen him since. He said, but he had tears in his eyes. And he said, this is all he said. He said, young man, when you preach again, honor the Holy Ghost. And Moody said, I was offended. <laughs> he said, I didn't say anything. And the man just got on the carriage and left. He said, but I was offended. I thought, I just preached in there, and all these people got saved, and good things happened, and I felt good about it. Everybody told me what a good job I did. What's that old man mean, honor the Holy Ghost? Moody said, I couldn't get away from it. And he said, for months, I'd lay in bed at night, and all I could hear was that old man. Son, when you preach again, honor the Holy Ghost. Soon after was that glorious encounter that Moody had on Wall Street with the Lord where God's presence came so real to him. He went and found the house of a friend, got alone with God. And Moody said something changed. He said it was strange. He said, I went to the same places to preach. And he said, in some instances, I preached the same sermons. He said, and where there were tens saved before, there were hundreds saved after that. He said, I learned what that old man meant to honor the Holy Ghost. What does it mean? It means that instead of us setting the course and charting the agenda, we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. You will know why Philippi was such a spiritual victory. You will know why Paul was so mightily used. You will know why Lydia's heart was open because the Spirit of the living God was at work and he found a man who was willing to listen and obey what the Spirit told him to do. Number one, obey the Holy Spirit. You want to go further? Here's the pattern. Number two, come down to verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Number two, look for open hearts. Look for open hearts. You can't open those doors. You can't pry them open. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you can preach to your blue in the face and tell every story and use every verse and every debate and all that kind of thing, and you can't get it open. And then there's that miraculous moment. Isn't it miraculous when God just turns the light bulb on? It's amazing. Here's what I've discovered. I believe that God makes appointments for us with people whose hearts he has prepared, and very often we miss those appointments because we're too busy and distracted. And one of the things I've started praying is, Lord, you make appointments for me. Cancel anything you need to cancel. If you want to cancel something, cancel it, Lord. I'm happy with that. 
If I'm supposed to be someplace different, put me there. Uh, I, I have found more gospel opportunities through missed flights. You, you know why that is? Because I think very often we, people say the devil's in the details. That's nonsense. For a child of God, God's in the details. I believe the Lord orchestrates things, and we must be spiritually awake and spiritually alert, and we must begin every day this way. Lord, I got my agenda today. I got my schedule today. But all that can go by the wayside. You make appointments for me today, and you lead me to Lydia. You work on me, and you work on them, and you connect the dots because only God can do that. And I'm going to tell you, when you get to watching God work like that, it is the greatest thing in the world. It's the adventure of faith. You're watching God work. You're getting in on the great work. And you're obeying the Holy Spirit and looking for divine appointments. Here's a third one. Give them Jesus. Just give them Jesus. Did you notice the theme of the whole passage? Look at verse number 10. The Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. That's not everything. That's something. Preach the gospel. What? Give them Jesus. Look at verse 17. Even the devil knew what they were there to talk about. They show unto us the way of salvation. Look at verse number 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Give them Jesus. People say, I don't know what I'm going to preach next week. Preach on Jesus then. When I was a kid preacher starting out, my dad, i never forget, he said to me, son, when you don't know what to preach, one day I was going preaching at something and and I was struggling, trying to figure out what to preach. I'll never forget it. Some of the best advice I ever got. He said, son, when you don't know what to preach, just preach on Jesus. And then he said, and when you think you know what to preach, preach on Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we'd do well just to go back and just preach a good series of messages again just on Jesus. Because when you preach on Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in the hearts of people and tender them towards the things of God. There's nothing like a message on Christ. There's no song like a song about Jesus Christ. There's nothing like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what people in every place need. They need Jesus. So follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Look for divine appointments. Give them Jesus. Number four, depend on the power of God. Look at verse number 18. Uh, this spiritual conflict, Paul didn't speak in his own name. When he's grieved, when he's vexed, what name does he use? He uses the mighty name, the name of Jesus Christ. The only name that demons bow to. The only name that someday every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Be very careful about depending on your own energy and effort. Sometimes we depend on our programs. we got a program for everything today, don't we? And we're going to start a new ministry. I'm not against starting a new ministry, but if we're depending on our programs and our curriculum and our schedule and our abilities to get the work of God done, don't you think we've had about enough of what men can do? We need what only God can do. And we must go back to total dependence on the power of Almighty God. It's not even enough to say, I can't do that. Did you know I can't is just as much pride as I can? Because both of them start with I. No, no. It is this. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Lean heavily on Jesus. Lean not to your own understanding. Look, some of you right now, get ready to make decisions. Don't lean on your understanding. It'll, it'll fail you. It, it'll drop you right on the floor. No, no. Lean heavily on the Lord's wisdom, 
on the Lord's strength, on the Lord's enabling. Depend on the power of Almighty God, and God will take you further. Number five, write this one down. Keep praying. Keep praying. I showed you prayer woven through the whole passage, but let's take one of them. Look at verse number 25. In the middle of the night, look please, in dark times and in desperate circumstances, what did they do? At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, Lord, teach us to pray again. The great work is prayer work. Sometimes, you know, it's easy to get enamored with people on a platform. But here's what I've discovered. If there's blessing on a platform, it is never because of what that person is on the platform. It's because of what they are in a prayer closet. We teach a lot about preaching and teaching, and there's not, nothing wrong with that. But I think maybe we need to go back to the real classroom and where the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you please teach us to pray? I've been asking the Lord recently to help me. I want to be a better Christian. Not a better evangelist, not a better preacher. I'd like to be a better Christian. I'd like, to, I'd like to walk more closer to our Lord. Pastor, I'd like to live in the presence every moment, every moment. I left the meeting last night. I was like, you had a hard time going to sleep last night. I just, uh, something on the inside. It was wonderful, too. I, I wasn't exhausted, wasn't tired. You know, you leave some meetings and you're just depleted and spent. And instead, I felt thoroughly refreshed last night. You know why that is? Because there's times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. And I get so convicted because, you know, I know, every day is not a mountain like that, but I do think we can live in the spirit of prayer every day, to pray without ceasing. Spurgeon said the habit of prayer is good, but the spirit of prayer is better. I can't be on my knees all day long, but I can be at the throne all through the day. I can live consciously in the presence of God and commune with the Lord. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? Would anybody say that's a praying person? They know how to get a hold of God. They're in tune with the Lord. Because the reality is all the other gifts and, and graces, all the other blessings are nothing if we are not people of prayer. It wasn't Paul's sermon that opened the prison doors. It was the fact that this was a man in tune with God and God heard and answered prayers. Why are we praying such little tiny prayers, such pipsqueak prayers to such a mighty big God? Did he not say, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not? Is he not still able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or even think according to his power that works in us? What big thing are you believing God for right now? What are you praying for? What definite answer to prayer are you seeking God's face for? Because I'm telling you, until we get back to praying like this, we're not going any further. We're stuck. We're stuck on the old answers to prayer. Thank God for the old answers to prayer. But we must believe God for much more. I don't want to meet Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and him say to me, look over here, Scott, here's all the answers to prayer I had and you never asked me. You want to go further, we must pray. Number six, look at verse 25 again. They didn't just pray. Look at what God couples together. It's woven together all through the New Testament. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and the conjunctions of revelation. And what did they do? Saying praises unto God. Number six, live full of praise. It was Lester Roloff that said, sometimes you can praise your way through things you can't pray your way through. That's true. You remember when the children of Israel are coming up against one of their staunchest enemies, what God told them to do? He said, I want you to get a little bunch of musicians, 
and put them out at the front. That is not good battle strategy. The musicians at the front, the tip of the spear, mm -hmm. and they're going to start singing praises and playing their instruments, and you'll have the victory. I, I'm sure some of the real military gurus thought, I, I don't know what the Lord's telling us, but something's off here. The Bible says the moment they started singing praise to God, mm. God inhabits the praises of his people, you know. At that moment, God spoke from heaven, and the enemy was defeated. You know, maybe we all need to remember God doesn't need us, we need him. And when does God do his greatest work? When we praise him. Could it be that what you've been praying for, you should start praising for? You say, but I don't have the answer yet. No, 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 you, you missed the point. You see, sometimes the greatest statement of faith is not prayer. Did you know you can pray in unbelief? You can actually pray in unbelief, but praise requires faith. The greatest statement of faith is not asking, it's adoring. It's not, it's not begging. It's saying to the Lord, Lord, I can't see it yet, but I just believe the answer is on the way, so I'm going to go ahead and start praising you right now. And I think perhaps some of the Lord's people in this room need to go home with the praises of God in their heart and in their mouth. And let our people hear us talk about how great our God is and how hopeful we are about the future and what the Lord's going to do in the days ahead as we move forward by faith, further the gospel message. Why? Because we serve a great and mighty God. And later this month, we're going to emphasize praise and thanksgiving to all of our people. Maybe we need to get a good dose of it, an extra dose of it ourselves. And begin to be praising Christians again, rejoicing evermore, giving thanks in everything seeing the goodness of God at every turn, choosing to praise God when we don't feel like it. I'm just going to tell you, fellas, if you let emotions run your ministry, they'll ruin your ministry. Because there are days I don't even feel saved. There are days I don't feel like reading the Bible. There are days I don't feel like praying. And that's why so many people up and down, in and out, on and off, hot and cold. Look, you can't trust your emotions. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why God gave you something besides your emotions. He gave you a will, and the will's a muscle. You don't use it, you lose it. It atrophies, it gets weak. But when you choose, every time you choose to praise God in faith and believe God for the future, it's getting a little stronger and a little stronger and a little stronger. Go home and exercise the will and believe God and praise the Lord, and you will see God move you forward. Then one more. Let's end at the end of the chapter. Come to verse number 40. They went out of the prison, entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. You ready for number seven? If you want to move further, go forward for God. Here's the pattern. Encourage and equip others to do the same. This is powerful. But Paul and Silas were leaving town. I do that a lot. But here's what I'm always thinking. What am I leaving behind? Who will I leave behind? Encouraged and equipped. This is interesting. After all they endured in the middle of the night, after all that happened to them, they realized it wasn't about them. It was about God's greater work. They were part of something bigger than themselves. You know what they did? They made a beeline for the local church, and they strengthened those believers to carry on the work of the gospel long after they had left town. How many of you know God's really touched our hearts the last day or so? Yes? How many of you think the Lord's going to do something in our lives? Yes? I'm going to tell you where we need to start. We need to go right back to our places of ministry where God has assigned us and take whatever's been put in us and pass it on. 
Don't you let another Sunday go by without taking what God just put in you or Wednesday or whenever it is and saying, look, I want to share with you how God's dealing with me. I want to share with you what God's spoken to me about for our church. We, we've got to go further, church. We've got to get the gospel to the lost. We've got to follow the pattern of the gospel. And like those dominoes, doom, 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 this chain reaction, the ripple effect, the chain reaction. Just think what might could be set in motion for the gospel's sake and the glory of God right here in this room today. I ask you with Mr. Carey, are we not going to do something? What are we to do? My grandpa was an old-timey mountain preacher. Both my grandpas were great men. One of them I knew, one of them I didn't. My mom's dad was a coal miner, World War II vet. He was at Pearl Harbor after the attack, helped with the cleanup. He was a farmer. We live on his farm now. He died in his late 80s with his tomato steaks in his hand on his way to the garden. He's a great man. My dad's dad, I never knew. He started preaching when he was 13. He died when he was 57. When he died, hardening the arteries, lost his mind. He had served the Lord faithfully. He didn't leave much behind. He died with three pennies in his pocket, literally. That's, that was the sum total of the inheritance. Dad told all of his siblings, said, we're not going to argue over the inheritance. I'm keeping every bit of it. And he did. And those three pennies are taped in the family Bible there. Grandpa never had much of an education. He was a little rough around the edges. He was just an old country preacher. Had a gospel tent. He'd carry it around, set it up. He'd preach for six, eight, ten weeks at a time. <laughs> See, hundreds of people saved, and they'd start a church out of it. The church I grew up in as a little boy grew out of one of his tent meetings. Fascinating. And uh, he was in lots of different churches. Didn't stay in, in, in any place very long. Got run out of a couple churches, to be honest with you. He got carried away one day in preaching in church. He said, bless God. That's what preachers say when they're about to say something they probably shouldn't say. And he said, there's two things no church needs. That's a clock on the wall and a busy-bodied woman, and this church has got both of them. That wasn't a good thing to say at all. He didn't stay in that church long, let me just tell you. But Grandpa was a gospel guy. I was preaching a revival meeting a little while back, a few years ago, in a little church in West Virginia, great church. I had never preached in the church before, didn't really know the people, and I'm walking through the back corridor, and there's a picture of my grandpa hanging on the wall. And I found out he started the church I was preaching in. Didn't know it. I'm standing in the lobby, shaking hands one night, and a man, an old fellow, comes out and shakes my hand. He says, son, did you know your grandpa Paulie? I said, no, sir. He died right before I was born. I said, did you know him? He started crying. He said, I didn't just know him. He led me to Jesus. He said, there was a pond out behind the old church building. He said, one Sunday afternoon, he baptized me in that pond. He started laughing. He said, you know those things you preachers say when you put people under the water? I said, yes, I know those words. He said, he must have been practicing because he held me under a long time that day. And I thought so much about what he said in motion. Nobody would ever say he accomplished a great deal. Never pastored a big church. Never 
never was famous, never wrote a book, never, none of that. No material goods to speak of. No earthly accomplishments people would laud. But his boys are serving the Lord. His grandson's preaching the gospel. His great-grandson just surrendered to preach the gospel. And at this juncture, I'm thinking more about what I'm going to leave behind. I'll tell you what I'd like to leave. A gospel pattern for others to follow. Father, thank you for the time we've had, for the Word of God and the work of the Spirit. Now send us out different than we came and let us make a difference. I think it pleased the Lord if we ended in prayer. Could we do something? In Scripture, you don't see people lounging around praying. Nothing wrong with praying sitting down. I do that driving down the road, but in Scripture, the two primary postures, they were either on their feet or on their face. Either on their knees in the presence of a holy God or on their feet in the presence of royalty, the King of Kings. I'm going to ask if you'll join me in this closing prayer of dedication to the gospel. If you're physically able, would you find a place somewhere right now on your knees? If you're able to get on your knees, just get on your knees. And if you're not, would you just stand to your feet if you're able to do that so that all over this room, on our on our knees or on our feet, we make our prayer to God. And we won't have any music. And for just a few moments, I'm just going to be quiet. You talk to the Lord. Would you just talk to God about whatever God's been talking to you about? What will we do with what we've heard? Father, may we follow the pattern you've given us in your word. And would you take it further than we ever imagined? And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.